This episode is brought to you by Malomo. Malomo offers Shopify brands the tools to turn shipping from a cost center into a profitable marketing channel through branded shipment emails and order tracking pages. This episode is also brought to you by Outer. Outer creates the world's most comfortable, durable, and sustainable furniture made from proprietary fabrics that are both eco-friendly and water, stain, fade, and mold-resistant. This episode is brought to you by Gorgeous. In case you don't already know, Gorgeous is the leading customer support platform built for e-commerce companies. Stay tuned to hear from Alexandra Collis, the Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly, an online fashion powerhouse, to hear how Gorgeous enables Princess Polly to manage all of their customer service channels in one place. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 87 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I spoke with Angie Tebby, the co-founder and CEO of Ray Wellness. Ray Wellness is a modern supplement brand designed to nourish your body and mind to help you feel your best and shine from inside. Launched in 2019, Ray is on a mission to make well-being attainable for all. In this episode, Angie shares with us her journey from growing up in a holistic household to earning three college degrees and starting her career at Microsoft to working at Target for 12 years and resigning with just 10 ideas in her pocket to pursue within the wellness industry. She talks with us about how her background in merchandising helped her build a business model around scale, how she started collaborating early on with Target, how the company got its name, and the challenges she faced while fundraising. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe. I'd love to hear from you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Angie. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm really excited to hear your story in building Ray Wellness. Thanks for joining us. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. And you're calling from Minnesota? Minneapolis. Minneapolis. God, I swear to God, I get all those M words like confused all the time. Like I'm Minneapolis, such a coast person, you know, it's either if you're on the East Coast or the West Coast, I, I have a clue of where you're at, but otherwise everything in the middle, I'm confused. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Minnesota. <laughs> all right. Minnesota. So um, tell me about your childhood. What was it like growing up? I was a super weird little five-year-old meditating on the lawn. Meditating at five? I didn't even know what meditating was. So I like to describe myself pre-kindergarten as I was meditating and making business cards. And that like, literally that is, that is like the summation of who I am in a nutshell. And I grew up in a really holistic household. My mom was a nurse. My dad was into Reiki and homeopathy. And so I had this cellular appreciation of wellness and well-being my entire childhood, but I was also, you know, and I still am, if I'm not learning, I'm bored. If I'm not growing, you know, I'm not challenged and I'm not happy. And so from a really, really young age, I was always digging into things and super exploratory. And like I said, creating business cards for whatever idea I had at the moment. What were some of those ideas when you were young? I wanted to um, be an architect because it was all about creation and creating things from scratch, um, which is so much of what I'm doing today. I wanted to open up um, my own store and my own, you know, with my own set of products that I made. And so, I mean, you name it, and I probably had an idea around it, but um, I was constantly just trying to learn and evolve. So you were like a dreamer as a kid. Dreamer, still am. Perfect <laughs> definition. I, I am a dreamer. 
But then, but you turned it into executing on a dream, which we'll get to later. But so you were a dreamer as a kid. What did you, with all these ideas, was there anything that kind of stuck when you were a kid that you're like, that's what I want to be when I grow up? No, no. And, and so much to say that even through college, I was like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I'm going to take all these classes. I had three majors, right? Because I took four years and got two. I took four years and got two and I was like, I'm not done learning. I'm not done hanging out with my friends. So like I added a third so I could stay a fifth year. And I just, I just love the academic environment. And it was like this insatiable um, thirst for knowledge. And so, um, I mean, were you at all concerned that doesn't matter how many degrees you get, it might be challenging to get a job with like the number of like just totally different. What were your degrees in? Spanish and marketing. And, and then I just added management at the end. Um, and no, I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about what that would be like because I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but I knew it was somewhere in the world of, of business, but I was, I, I certainly wasn't clear for quite some time. So maybe was it like, I don't really know what I want to do. So I'm just going to tack on a few more years here in school and, and keep the fun learning. Yeah, in internships, right? Like I interned at Microsoft, um, you know, one summer and I kind of fell in love with that company. And so ultimately that led me to a job offer. Um, and I, you know, I, I had a number of interviews. I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do. So interviewed with a bunch of companies. But um, to me, you know, growing up the way I did, you know, we had everything, but we had nothing kind of a thing. And so for me to live a life, my parents never had, my parents always said like, the world is not this homogenous, get out, figure it out. And so for me, what that looked like was corporate, right? To like make money and, <laughs> and learn and, and be in an environment um, with a lot of really smart people. And so to me, ultimately, that was my very first role at Microsoft out in Seattle. So that that's where I landed in a really big corporate company. And, and 15 years later, you know, across two companies, I was in corporate for, for quite a while. Right. You, I mean, you were at Target for like 12 years, right? After Microsoft? 13. Yeah. 13. I mean, so with being such a dreamer, how did, how, how do you view that now that you kind of look back as a, you know, having had such a long corporate career, but yet as a kid, it seemed like you were pretty entrepreneurial and very, you know, all these ideas that you wanted to go do. How did you, like, why stick to corporate for so long? I was constantly challenged by really ridiculously smart people around me. And so I had 12 different roles in 13 years. So to me, it wasn't like I had the same job for 13 years. I had 12 different jobs across those 13 years. And so it really fulfilled me. And I was always able to be authentic in that journey and have a hundred ideas, but be able to say, okay, these are the three that matter right now. And so let me kind of commit myself to the three that, that I can actually execute or do something about at this point. So 12 roles in 13 years, that's a lot of different roles. And I, I don't think that's normal, <laughs> at least from what I hear, I guess, about corporate world, as if I would have any clue. But just in general, what I hear, it doesn't really work that way, right? Yeah. Well, and and for me, one of the what, one of the most defining roles was um, I spent some time opening up the Canadian operations. So when Target was going into Canada, lived in Toronto for a couple of years, and really that was a startup environment. And so that came to me at a really perfect time when, you know, maybe I would would have started to feel unsettled, but then I I kind of reached out and said, "Pick me, pick me," and I was able to have a completely different, you know, less corporate experience kind of up up in Canada that was so amazing and very, very entrepreneurial. And there I learned, you know, I can thrive in chaos and I can kind of see a path forward amidst, you know, a lot of things uh, not going well. When you say that you were, you know, kind of saying, pick me, pick me, what was it like to advocate for yourself to get that role? What'd you have to do? I had to talk about it a lot. (laughs) And so like with my current, you know, with my current leaders and certainly with, with those leading the the Canadian team, I just started to find out who was up there, who was leading it. What does this look like from the moment Target started talking about doing things, you know, differently and maybe internationally. Um, this was a long time ago and they started to see that they might be doing this. I kind of immediately started talking about it and saying, if there's ever anything different, if there's ever any opportunities, just so you know, um, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm willing to learn and kind of give it a shot. And so it happened, I don't know, probably for a good 
six months before they even hired the team. And then once they were starting to hire the team, um, I kind of made myself, you know, started to raise my hand again. And so you will find throughout, <laughs> throughout this story, I am probably top 5% in terms of tenacity in the human population, right? So you're always like better, you know, than a lot of people in this world at something. There's so many things I'm not. I am so tenacious. And I kind of, when I know it's something that I want, I, I really, really go after it. And where does that come from? I don't know. That's such a good question. Um, probably back to this desire, like desire to learn, right? And like figure it out and like get to the bottom of things and and do things and, and learn everything I possibly can. And so it comes from a, you know, a little bit being stubborn too um, and knowing what I want and kind of grabbing onto it. Not to the point where it starts to take you down a bad path, but but I think it's just the the thirst to to learn. Yeah, I wonder if there's an definitely an element of curiosity. I mean, for myself, with being you know having a lot of tenacity as well, I always think that it comes from just this curiosity of can I pull this off? Like, what if I did? How crazy would that be? You know, I kind of just love that idea or thrill or curiosity that like, hmm, and then I just feel so compelled to try to try it, make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I love how you said that because it's not the, and I've never felt this way. The I've got this. All right. This is, this is it. This is for me. Totally. I've got this. I'm, I'm the right one. It's not about that. It's to your point. It's like, what if, what if this really right. works? What is this? Right. What if I, I think I could do it? It's going to be super hard and challenging, and I could totally fail and fall on my face. But I think I could also do it and do it well, maybe. But I don't know yet. But if I, I won't know unless I try. Yeah, I think things for me, things that I know I'm going to be really good at, or just that are just maybe come easy or speak too much to my strengths. I felt like are so boring. Like I get bored so easily. If it's too easy, I'm just not interested. And conversely, I feel the same same way about things I'm really bad at. And I just, I identify those things right away. Like golf is a great example. Like things that I just know I will just never grab onto. I just kind of compartmentalize those over to the left and then to the right, these, these things that I'm just super uber driven by. Right, or excited by, yeah. And so these 12 roles and 13 years at Target, can you kind of walk us through the first role that you got and how those other roles kind of came to be? So after Microsoft, where I was in marketing, um, came back to Minneapolis and just fell into retail. Did not know that that's where I wanted to be. I just started calling Fortune 50 companies that were around. We were back for my then partner, now husband's job. And... I just started calling people and I had a friend that was a business analyst at Target and said, I think I can maybe get you an interview. And so as a business analyst, it's my first job in toys. So I was managing inventory, planning the business, forecasting the, the financials. And so that was kind of my first role and um, loved that because it really gave me the foundation and understanding of, of how to drive a business at the most granular level. From there, um, very quickly, you know, within a year or so, became a manager of analysts. And then after that, really started to find my sweet spot at Target as a merchant in largely the private label space, so home and apparel. And so what that looks like is, you know, honing your ability to be able to see micro and macro trends, when to bring those at mass, how to bring those to mass, building P&Ls, tops down, bottoms, upside to side, creating products with our product development and design team where, you know, you got to figure out your sourcing strategy and country of origin and, and what you want your cost of goods to be. And so it's really kind of a bottoms up creation of a business. And that, as you can imagine, you know, tying into what I'm doing now really gave me the toolkit of, of you know, many of the things I needed to learn. Absolutely. And so looking back, well, it sounds like, you know, those tools, but aside from that, maybe even also from a leadership perspective, what have you learned from your experience at Target that you've taken with you as a founder? Target is one of the most incredible companies um, from a leadership perspective, hands down. And what that means is there is so much inherent focus on the human as well as the business. And they're really, really balanced in their approach. And so I was so fortunate in my time to have some incredible leaders that balance that really well. 
and, and allowed me, you know, often, often, you know, in, in corporate environments, it's like, here's your strengths and here's your weaknesses, right? And like focus on your weaknesses and try to get those up to a level. I was really lucky to have a very balanced conversation and Target in general is this way where they're like, don't, you know, you, you're really, really good at these things or this human is really, really good at these things. So let them excel there, right? And, and help support the things maybe that they need to, to improve on or get better on. But it was always a conversation of strengths and always a conversation of what you needed to do to amplify that as much as possible. And so, you know, I'm sure throughout that time, you were given feedback. Hopefully you were able to give feedback as well. What's some of the hardest feedback that you've ever gotten that you've had to learn from? This is a constant challenge for me, prioritization and discipline. You know, you can do 10 things okay, but you can do three things exceptionally well and get them over the finish line and execute really, really well. And for me, as you can imagine being a dreamer, you know, there was 10 things I wanted to do, but I think that that's what Target taught me too, is, is focus, be disciplined because that's going to produce, you know, the, the biggest change, right. In, in whatever, whatever you're seeking to do. Right. It's, it's really interesting, right? Because you can have these wonderful ideas, but it's really the outcome of so the outcome of that or any kind of result is just the constant action of the same things kind of over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you prioritize yourself now? How do you think about what are some of the ways or habits you've formed to be more productive or to have focus and, and prioritize? I have learned, especially now that I have a family and my time is at a premium for everything in life and work and all of the things. <laughs> totally. I just had a kid, so I totally know what you're saying. It just totally shifts. You did. I just, I, how old I would love to, I mean, I just had my third. Seven months. <gasps> Seven oh months my old. gosh. I have a four month old, my third little boy. So oh my gosh, congrats. congrats. Yes. First? My first boy. Yeah. <sighs> So good. So good. So you understand what I'm talking about where you really just need to, you know, you wonder what did I ever do before this? And so once, once your life becomes more full, you're almost pushed into a place of prioritization and discipline and, you know, kind of reassessing that list, if you will. And, and at the end of the day, I, I, before my life became fuller and fuller and fuller, you know, get to everything on that list. And I think now I just realized there's just things that are going to fall off that list and I need to be okay with it. And so it just, it just kind of happened. I think, I think Target taught me some of it. I think life taught me some of it, but I I just think to spend the time doing the things that are the most impactful and the things that you love, you just have to, you just have to operate that way. A hundred percent. I mean, with three kids, you're on a whole nother level than I am. I mean, I'm just like the, the novice in this game of trying to figure it out. But yeah, it's, it's crazy because they say, you know, oh, your time is the most valuable asset. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have your, your kids and you're like, oh my God, I have no time. And it better be really important, whatever I'm spending my time on, because if it's going to take me away from the precious time I have with my family, then it's just got to be a whole nother level of value. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you were at, you know, Target for quite a long time. And what after you had such a great career there, it sounds like such a wonderful place. What inspired you to leave and start Ray Wellness? A few specific moments. So uh, my, my leader and I were kind of talking about next roles and what that looked like at Target and, and what could be. And after that conversation, I drove home one evening and pulled off to the side of the road and felt ill and got ill. Um, and every time I started to think about, and I came home and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Those are the, those are the words I use. What is wrong with me? And every time I started to think about the next roles, I just started to feel nauseous and not right. And so I couldn't identify why. Um, but I also had a number of friends calling me being like you, and this is all within weeks, just to give you perspective, all within weeks. Why aren't you honoring your late father? You keep talking about this and I'm doing air quotes wellness thing, right. That you've always wanted to do. And, um, you don't seem like yourself. You seem to, you seem a little burned out. Did your father pass away recently or something during this time? You said late father. So what does that mean? At that point he had passed 10 years prior, Mm. 10 years. 
And so, you know, they were, they were just like, you've, you've always talked about, you know, doing the things that he taught you. And you've always talked about teaching others, the things that he's instilled in you. I also started to really see women in my life not not being well. And a lot of women coming to me, not being well, ran into somebody at the airport and it led to a job offer and wellness out of the blue. Right. So it was just like the universe. And I think I needed that physical sign driving home because I think the universe had been trying to like pepper these signs in front of me for a while. It all happened in a concerted few week period where I went, okay, I get it. I'm listening. The forces are strong. Now might be the time I don't even understand what this means, but there's something here. And so I took a minute, pulled my dad's old books off the shelf and meditated on it. I was like, there's gotta be something. And I have to, for some reason, I trusted it. For some reason, I just knew I had to trust it. So I walked in and I resigned <laughs> and everyone was like, what are you doing and where are you going? And I, and, and my, I just kept saying, I don't know where I'm going and I don't know what I'm doing, but I believe for the first time and maybe forever I've figured out my why. Um, and that is personally and professionally needing to chase this well-being, not only for myself, but for a lot of women that I knew felt the same way. So I resigned, I walked out the door, I had a post-it note with 10 ideas of what I thought it could be. Not one thing was to start a brand or a company, just to be clear. Really? What were some of the ideas? Oh my gosh. I was going to go and I and I still am working through it. Reiki certification. I was going to open up you know, a a wellness clinic of sorts. Like I was going to help um, wellness companies that are digitally native and D2C help them get into physical brick and mortar because that's what I knew. I had a whole lot of ideas. Not one was to do what I'm doing now. You're like, I'm armed with plenty of ideas. I'll figure something out. (laughs) Again, it goes back to the dreamer, right? Like I knew I could dream up something, um, but it's, but it's certainly not what I'm doing now. (laughs) funny. I feel like I've been in that place where I've gotten all these, I've had all these ideas and I feel like I'm, I'm more almost on the other side where it's like, I've had my own business. I've done that probably a little jaded right now. And I'm like, I have no ideas, but I totally can execute. (laughs) It's kind of funny. So you had all these ideas and you just walked in the office and you kind of resigned and you weren't even thinking about starting your own business or I mean, it kind of does though. You said Reiki certification, a clinic maybe of your own, but you're you're thinking of consulting maybe for other brands. So it seems like there were some pieces in there of maybe you going and starting your own thing. Something, something. Um, I didn't know if there would be others involved. Like, yeah, I had no idea. Maybe I could run a clinic. Like, I honestly wasn't sure, but I would knew that I was lucky enough to be able to take a little bit of time off to figure it out. And I was so fortunate to be able to do that and and taking care of myself for a couple of months and, you know, getting back to running every day. And, you know, I, I've always believed in the power of supplementation. I don't think that there's, you know, any amount of avocado and kale that can replenish what we as women put on a daily basis. And so sometimes you need a little bit of support and what I was seeking support for primarily or first, first in the journey was my hormones were messed up. I had high degree degrees of cortisol. And I just kind of needed to like cleanse, if you will, and then like rebalance my my hormones. And and as I was looking at what was out there for myself, you know, I saw I saw a couple different things. I saw a lot that was geared for the one percent, you know, a lot of wealthy people holding up $98 multivitamins. And I was like, this is you know, this is the stuff I want because it was built with this East meets West approach and it was built with adaptogens as well as vitamins. I was like, this is ridiculous. There's no way. And, you know, given what I, I mean, I used to bring $400 items to Target for $40. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I know you can charge that much, but you have to. And so, and it just wasn't with a, with a view on the 99%. And then I would go to CVS or the grocery store or Target, and I would see things not made with for women or with women in mind and or a lot of sugar, so a lot of gummies. Um, and so for me, again, that's not what I was looking for kind of in my health journey. And so as all entrepreneurs say, had an idea, and I was really heads down in pursuit of figuring it out and seeing how big it could be. But for me to impact lives, and to make a viable business model with unit economics and all of those things, I knew I knew I had to build the business model around scale so that I could get that amazing product at the price that I know so many, so many women deserve. 
Yeah, that's really interesting you say that building the business model around scale. I think a lot of founders kind of, you know, have a good idea and just try to run with it. <laughs> they may not go too deeply into a spreadsheet. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so when you say you took the time and yes, it sounds like you were, you know, kind of privileged to have this time to take off, not have to work, take that, afford to take that leap and take care of yourself. Um, how much time did it take to kind of uncover this next step that you wanted to dive into? Well, so from that moment until we launched the brand, not that long, um, a little over a year. But the first thing that I knew, and I just took out white sheets of paper. So you talk about the process, I took out blank sheets of paper, computer paper. And I just started navigating and writing the relationships and started saying, okay, if we're going to do product, I need to have manufacturers and if we're manufacturers, they need to figure out where to get the ingredients. Right. And so I just started to plot product first because I knew that was the most important part of this given, you know, if, I, if I, if I'm going to take the responsibility behind what, what women put in their bodies, right? That is the most important part of the journey. Branding and then DNA and all of that. I also had a dream dream on what that could look like. But at the end of the day, I knew the product had to be right. And so that was kind of the first step. What do you mean you had a dream of the branding? What does that mean? I always start, my process is, I always start with what does five years from now look like? And so for me, I always visualize it to the point or write it down to the point where I know what it tastes like, looks like, smells like, feels like. You knew all of that? Like you kind of envisioned all of this during this time? Not with a level of clarity, but I knew I knew what it looked like and felt like at that five years from now was I knew I wanted to create a brand that helped women realize wellness doesn't have to be a full-time job. It doesn't have to be expensive. And that it should be for everyone. And when I say everyone, I mean, every woman is different. And um, where we all come from is different. And um, how you manifest that is different, right? There's a lot of people that aren't being spoken to. Um, and so I wanted that diversity in every possible way to kind of shine through at the brand level. Did I know the brand name? No. Did I know what the packaging looked like? No. But, but that's what I wanted it to feel like right? And taste like and smell like. And so for me, that's what I'm saying is like, that's the five-year dream. So what will it take to do that? Well, that means we're going to impact a lot of, you know, that means that for everyone. So that means here's the price I think I need to hit. Uh, shouldn't have to be a full-time job. So we've got to have some content around like, just drink an extra glass of water. It's okay. Let's start somewhere, right? So it had to be this really attainable messaging. And then I knew from even our very first photo shoot that I wanted to break down a lot of barriers. Um, not only to the categories that we're going after, stress, sex, hormones, digestion, skin, but also how we did that. We had trans model in one of our very first, you know, ads. We I, we had this couple that was talking about our libido um, in the mood item. And I just remember saying, what are the ages? What are the backgrounds, right, of all of the people that are in this couple? And so I just kind of knew that I just wanted to, I just wanted it to feel different and really, really real. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Did you know that brands like Magic Spoon, Mudwater, and Caraway get an average of 20 times the return on their investment when using Malomo? Customers track their orders four to five times before it even gets to their door. And instead of sending them to the carrier's tracking page, Malomo built a tool to help brands optimize post-purchase marketing. Use order status emails and tracking pages to spur engagement and drive additional purchases by showing new products, sales, subscription options, and other engaging content simply by being proactive in managing delivery communications. Get 30% off your first three months with Malomo today by going to gomalomo.com slash stairway to CEO. While most people living in colder climates are getting ready to bring their outdoor furniture indoors to protect it during the winter months, customers of the popular brand Outer don't have to lift a finger. After all, outdoor furniture should stay outdoors, right? 
made from durable materials like all-weather wicker that withstands temperatures down to negative 220 degrees with a marine-grade frame and legs, Outer ensures your outdoor sofa will stay good as new until spring and for many years to come. So if you're preparing to bundle up this winter, go get some marshmallows to roast over the fire pit and enjoy some cozy time outdoors with Outer. You can get $200 off on furniture purchases by using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. That's $200 off amazing furniture using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. I have a quote and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. The gorgeous platform allows our agents a seamless place to just do it all. We are really there for the customer every step of the way if they want. Our customers expect quality and efficiency where they are. So the real question is, how do you get quality and efficiency across every single platform? And then once you have it, how do you maintain it? And I believe that with the Gorgeous platform, we can do that. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, go to gorgeous.com and mention podcast for two months free. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. And so the name Ray Wellness, how did that come about? So we hired an agency, an amazing agency in LA, actually, that helped us develop our packaging and our branding. So they came up with the name. They came up with, an, well, here's, here's the funny thing. They came up with a name. They came up with a bunch of names. And through focus groups and voting, Ray always went to the top. And I pushed against it for a really long time. It's my middle name. It is? Yep. That my father gave me not kidding. I kept pushing back on it. And they were like, why is this a big deal? I'm like, it just is. I just don't like it. And then finally I told them, I said, you guys, this just makes it feel so self-indulgent. Like it's about me. And they were like, oh my God, that means it's meant to be. Are you kidding me? Right. And it is so silly to me now looking back because to think it was even about me was actually self-indulgent. Right. And so at that point I just pushed back. But, but what I love about the name Ray is it's an alternative spelling for beam of light. Right. And so shine and a support system. And for all those reasons, and, and with certainly with the neon, neon color that we use, the neon yellow, um, it just kind of created this own brand personality unto itself. So did the agency know that was your middle name? They didn't know before you pushed back and you're like, nope, don't want that one. Yep. That is yep. so bizarre. How did they come up with that name? They are magic. I am not a creative. That is something on the not list for me. Um, but they're just magic. They came up with some incredible names, right? And then you scour the trademark list to see what is out there and isn't out there. So they they have an entire exercise that they go through and it just kept winning every round. And every time I saw it, I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And so, so you have the name, you got the branding. What were some of the other first steps that you had to take to form the company and get it off the ground? product and formulations. And so how long did you spend on creating the product? Eight months. The first thing that we needed to do was find a manufacturer that we could trust to source the ingredients with a clean supply chain, that they understood where they were getting every single ingredient. When you're buying Peruvian ginseng, are you getting it from Peru? Right. So for all those reasons, I'm just making sure that the integrity of the supply chain was there. That was the longest part of the process. I was an expert in figuring out sourcing, but not for supplements, right? Apparel is a little bit different, cotton and all of that. And so for me, it was, you know, finding experts to help me look around corners, asking a lot of questions. You know, so much of the journey is, hey, so-and-so, do you know anybody that might know anything about? And then that person saying, no, or maybe this person might know. And then you call that person. They're like, no, I don't know anything about that, but this person might. And so, so much of it is this game of how do you find the people that you trust and that are experts at the thing that you have no idea how to, how to look around quarters on or how to do. Um, and then you just kind of bring them in and they help support the journey. And so for us, that's what, a, that's what a lot of it looked like. And it's so funny because we were also looking for a chemist at the same time. And when we found our manufacturer, our best manufacturer that we just, we believed in the integrity of their products and, and tested 
it to make sure there was this five foot nothing female chemist sitting there. And she's like, I know exactly what you want. And I get your brand and let me help you. And so we didn't have to hire it separately. They kind of gave her as a resource to us, which was just brilliant. Just brilliant. Yeah. I mean, how the hell does that happen? You know, you just I don't know. make that don't up, know. you know, it's just luck. <laughs> luck. Yes. There, how much luck do you think is involved in success? I don't know that answer, but what I do know is it's probably overused. So I probably even overuse it myself in terms of, well, that was lucky. Well, it was, but I was also asking a hundred thousand questions to get that one, you know, to, to get there. Right. And so I do believe some of it is serendipity and luck and, you know, or what, if you want to call it manifesting or whatever, whatever it is for you. But I also worked my tail off, right. To like find that manufacturer and make sure that, and then she was there. So, so it's so intertwined. It's hard to say, but I will say what I don't love is when people rely on, well, that was just luck. It's like, yeah, it was right. But it's, it's, it's so many things coming together. So I guess I don't know that answer. Yeah. It's hard to attribute, right. All these different factors, but um, yeah, it could just be a numbers game. Yeah. It's interesting. What do you think? Like what if, what if some of the other entrepreneurs, you know, I don't always ask that question. So <laughs> I can't really say, yeah. I just kind of thought of that question when you said luck, because I'm always so curious of how, what people's perspective is on luck versus hard work and science and data. You know, it's, it's, I think such a mixed bag of things. So you created this product, you finally got it going and you've got this amazing brand name, the packaging, and sounds like you started D2C. And then obviously I'm sure you leveraged your, your contacts over at Target. Talk to us about how you got into Target and what any advice you have for other entrepreneurs trying to sell to Target. Like what do they look for? How does it work? You know, it's, it seems so obvious now, but it wasn't at the time because I didn't think there was a chance I would get in a target just to be clear. Why is that? Like you were there for 12 years. I feel like you knew everybody. If anybody was going to sell, it would be you there. No. But I think so often, I mean, there's non-competes there's, you know, so often they make it harder, right. Not easier. And so I would just say like, they, they were so amazing in those first conversations of, you know, Hey, what do you think? Like, I have this, I have this thought process. What do you think? I have this idea. And they're like, we like that white space too. For the first, you know, foreseeable, uh, or for the first probably six months of the conversation, it was kind of co-creating together, right? Like here's all the products that I see. If you're interested in taking the brand, meanwhile, we're talking, you know, to other retailers as well, but we're like, what does this look like? Do we have the right products? Are there different products you would want? Right. And so for all those reasons, um, and, and then, and then I, I'll never forget the day we actually got the first PO. Like it just, it just never seemed like it would happen. Like I just never thought it would happen. But wait, you said you were kind of like co-creating it with them. Like, so you were talking to them so early on that they felt like they were kind of part of it in a way. No. For future. Yeah. So like, what, what should this look like? And, and, um, are there any, are there any, you know, if you think about your assortment in two years, what are the gaps that you see? What are the things that you're thinking about? Right. Um, wellness is so multifaceted in your own assortment, um, around ingestible skincare, right. Is there anything that you're thinking about that you would want a brand to do? Right. And so it was that, you know, initial, like, well, here's what we have for you. But then over time, you know, how do we become that brand and that partner for you um, if you are interested in something? And so this is just this coming together um, and co-creating kind of what the future of the partnership could look like together. And do you think that's a a good kind of um, process or something that other entrepreneurs should think about from like a, if they want to sell into retail to think of it from a co-creation perspective? For so many brands right now, the barrier to entry is so low, right? Like anyone can create a brand and a company and a website and all of that. I think there are tremendous barriers to scale and it's really hard to scale and especially to get into retail. And so the more you can, one, go fewer, deeper, bigger, right? So for us, we weren't going to go into, you know, six retailers. For us, it was like really focused on one and having a really deep relationship with one 
that always bodes really, really well for brands. In addition to that, to your point, yeah, it's like this, will this work for you? Or why would this work for you? And why wouldn't this work for you? Um, versus, hey, I have these six items. Do you want them or, or not? Um, it's, it's definitely more of a collaborative conversation. I think when we were talking earlier, you said that Target took 19 out of the 20 products you created. Why'd they leave the one out? <laughs> there was actually four they left out, which is great, but they they kind of overlapped some, right? So same item across aisles. They had 19 SKUs, but they actually took 16 of the 20 and uh, it just wasn't the priority, right? So for them, as they think about their category, every brand that they, every brand as a buyer that you bring in needs to drive category incrementality. So what that means is, um, I'll just talk, take the vitamins aisle. I remember talking to the vitamins buyer and he would say, okay, out of my entire aisle, I have so many sleep items. I have so many sleep supplements. I don't need another sleep supplement. And so that, for example, that's one that, you know, wasn't taken or whatever, but I have so many sleep supplements. I don't need another one, but this over here, I don't have anything like it. So that will drive incrementality. Another sleep item, they're just going to trade across the sleep items. But this item is different and it'll fill a white space that I don't have right now. And so then that'll drive the whole incrementality because she's not able to find that in my assortment. So I keep hearing the word white space. How many white spaces are there? Is it like this infinite thing? <laughs> like, or will it eventually ever get completely filled up? And then there's just no more room for new brands. Like, how does this work? As an entrepreneur, it's our job to bring things to the world that don't exist, right? And so that is like big things that don't exist and small things that don't exist. There's scales of it. And so are there infinite? Is there infinite white space? Yeah, maybe, right? Because nobody's ever done it that way, right? Um, at retail, you could argue there's finite white space, <laughs> Right? And there's diminishing returns at a certain point. But I just, I feel like the world is so big and the micro hyper-targeting opportunities are so big that um, there's just a lot of opportunity for a lot of brands to exist. And that's, and that's also when people are like, who are your competitors? I'm like, that, that's, that's cool. We all take inspiration from each other, but like, I hope we can all grow. Like that's the goal is like, we all see this space together, right? And, and wellness is trending. I mean, the trends are crazy, especially in supplements like the growth. And so, gosh, I hope we could all take a piece of that if we all do it well or right or in the right way for the white space of our brand or what we're trying to do. And so, so yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the answer is infinite. I guess I don't know. You know, you guys have had a million customers in your first year. You've had triple digit growth this year. I know you said you uh, raised your Series A in December. Talk to us about fundraising. I mean, you've had incredible growth. It sounds like fundraising was easy. Not at all. Not even close. And so why wasn't it easy? Tell, tell us about the, the challenges you faced in fundraising. That by far was the most difficult part of the entire journey. I remember not having a clue. Somebody would say, well, you need to raise money. And I'm like, yeah, okay. But what, like, I know, I know, like I put certain amount of my own money into it. And then at a certain point, right. To buy inventory and do all the things I bought off of Amazon, you know, those big floppy for dummies books. Yes. I bought, it's called VC for dummies, venture capital. for dummies, <laughs> And I just poured through it in one afternoon because I was like the, the, the vocabulary was so different what a cap table means. I mean, and it was just, it was mind blowing to me, this whole universe that existed around capital and to know how to one, speak the language two how it works three to figure out how to tell your story succinctly four to do it with a women's brand. When we're covering topics like sex and hormones right? To a predominantly white male audience. It was just, it was such a tough journey. And I believe, I mean, I, I keep thinking back, I should have just kept tally marks, had to be close to a hundred no's. And so that process, when you're like, whoops, really messed that one up. Okay. Get up the next day, put your pants on, learn from it, take the next phone call. And I remember just I mean, week after week, after week, after week, 
five phone calls a day with investors. No, 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 not right. Doesn't fit my business model. Doesn't seem to work. I, I don't believe you can pull all of this off. I like direct to consumer. I don't really understand retail or don't like the retail business or I love retail. So why are you doing this website? Right. So there's just so everybody has a different thesis right behind how they invest that it was, it was such a learning journey. But I tell you, once you, once you get your first, yes, it was like, it's like anything. Like once you start to get momentum, right. You get a yes. And then that yes is so excited about what you're doing. Then they call their friend or five friends. And then one of those five friends turns into a yes. Right. And so some of it is just kind of finding your pocket of people, finding your pocket of humans that support what you do and getting one person to bet on you kind of started, started the domino effect or the momentum, but it took a really long time. You know, and I'm curious, you know, looking back at those first few meetings and kind of maybe how green you were at that time to getting the yeses and now kind of on your way, understanding the process, understanding the metrics they look for and how to answer a lot of the questions that maybe you didn't know how to answer before. What were some of the things that you've had to learn or overcome, I think, to, to like, what kind of person or how, what persona do you have to be to fundraise? Is there a different, like, do you have to turn something on when you're meeting with, with an investor? Well, first of all, I cringe thinking like the decks, like I've deleted them at this point because I'm like, look at those first decks or first pitches that I sent out. But it's, it's your point, all a learning journey. I don't think there's here. Listen, here's the thing. I don't change how I'm talking now and the passion I have behind what I do and how I talk about, you know, this dream in five years. I don't, I don't change. I I change what I talk about. I don't change the persona behind it because the worst thing you can do is have people that invest in something that isn't, that you're just not transparent about, or that you're just not like, here's who it is. And here's who I am. Right. Cause so much of the investors are investing in the business model, but they're also investing in the entrepreneur. And so it is so important to live your truth and um, be yourself. And if that leads to a bunch of no's, like it did in a lot of cases, right? It also could create the right yeses for you. Yeah, I think by persona, I mean almost like a amplified confidence almost, right? Because like if, if I was myself in every meeting, like I don't know if I'd get away with half the shit I get away with. You know what I mean? Because I have my moments when I'm like not so confident, right? But when I'm in an investor meeting, it's like a whole nother level of I'm going to make this shit happen and I'm going to like run through walls. But sometimes when I'm not in front of that person, I might be like, shit, what's happening? Oh my God, can I actually pull this off? I hope yeah. to God I can, right? Yeah. But I'm not going to say that in a meeting. So that's what I mean by kind of shifting personas, I guess. Yeah. Like, who do you have to be in the room? Because being yeah. myself is kind of not who I am when I'm fundraising. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is that. But I have to tell you, you also need to be very transparent about what you're not so sure about. Right? Because those questions come out. So it's like, so yeah, but like, am I the same way internally with my team of like, here is the stuff that we are going to kill it and we know about but guys, here's all the stuff I'm kind of worried about, right? That's running a business. And I think that that is the air of transparency that I'm talking about too with some of these investors, because if you show up and you're like, I got it, I got all of this. I have it all figured out. Three years from now, I'm going to run into this roadblock and I already have the answer. They know you're lying. (laughs) They just know they've all, some of them have been entrepreneurs themselves, right? So they just know how it goes. And so um, the more you can articulate, here's what I'm not so sure about and or, here's why you're the right investor for me because you could help me with that. I think that that helps build those bridges too. Yeah, I love the question. What keeps you up at night? (laughs) This meeting with you, that's what keeps me up. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. It is, it's really nerve wracking. Um, But once you you start to figure it out to your point, then 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 it's a language that you just kind of embody. I remember being so shocked uh, the response of investors of when I would be like very aggressive, like, or I would say things that they would be shocked to hear. And I thought, and it was kind of borderlining, like they could kick me out of the room, but they actually would like laugh. And then thought that because I had the guts to say that, that now they want to invest. <laughs> what did you say? Like, what were you saying? <laughs> I told my first investor, I'll never forget this meeting. We're, we're really good friends now. And it, I was raising my first 200K 
And I just was like, oh my God, I don't know if I can even raise 200K. Like, I don't know who would give me a check. I have no experience running a business. I barely have any work experience, you know, just like not sure how I would get this money, but I really needed it to build the company and get things going. And so I had this meeting and, and he turned me down. He was like, you know, I'm going to pass, like just this, keep me posted on your progress. And, you know, we'll see about maybe, maybe the next round. And I said, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. And he literally laughed. <laughs> he laughed at me. And I would can't, A, I couldn't believe I'd said that. And B, he just, his response shocked me so much that I was like, this is what they want to hear. Like, this is literally the, like the confidence level that they want to hear to invest. This is crazy. Right. And so because his reaction and he was like, okay, fine. You're right. I, well, I don't want to regret it. So fine. I'll, I'll invest. Like the fact that you said that, like, it was just so bizarre. And it, it, I tested it like many times, like saying similar, just like kind of having that, I don't know, arrogance. I don't know what it was, but it was something that I tested. And I realized made people believe in me more because they're like, if you can talk to me that way, like you're going to crush and get as you know, all the deals you can, like you're going to take yeah. no, you won't take no for an answer. Right. right? And I think that that was such an eye opener for me that I, cause I was like, yeah, I lost him anyway. So I'll just tell him you're making the biggest mistake of your life, <laughs> so, you know? So I just found that to be such a crazy experience in my, and this was many years ago. So I'm hoping things have changed and that women don't have to be so aggressive <laughs> in meetings to get funded, but I was very aggressive. I think that's amazing because you're probably right. You know what I mean? Like with what you've done and, and how, and how it's come to fruition. Yeah. And I think, gosh, that's, that is so awesome. Did you ever have anybody say, well, I'm okay if it is or whatever. Like, <laughs> like, oh, what like come back and say, yeah. well, I guess I am making a mistake. No, I actually don't think I did. I don't, cause, cause maybe I real, I don't know if I, I didn't like do it with everybody, but it was the ones that I knew were on the edge, you know? And that's like, Whatever reason they're not saying yes to right now is stupid because I can feel it that they want to invest and they, they're like curious enough to give me a shot, but I got to push them over the, the edge. But they have like one or two things that are they're leveraging as an excuse not to. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Right. I've seen that behavior. I have not done what you've done. <laughs> you should try it. <laughs> Maybe I will. Uh, there's probably maybe a different way of saying it. I forget the other things I tried out. Um, but yeah, I was just so shocked that he laughed. I just couldn't get over that. I was like, this is hilarious. He liked it that I said that. Almost a hundred no's. Like why not experiment a little bit too, right? Like <laughs> through right. the, I mean, you, you know, you, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. How, how long ago was that? Oh God. That was like my first round. Uh, I think it was like 2014. Okay. So yeah. things have changed a little bit. I know. I hope so. That's what I'm saying. I hope it has. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'll be fundraising the same way. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, but I had nothing to lose. Like, um, so anyways, so, you know, you've hired a team. How big is your team now? There are 18 of us. 18. And so what have you learned about the hiring process? What advice do you have there? I, it's kind of three things for me. The first is, do they believe in the mission? First. Because I think we've all been there when we actually don't believe in the work we're doing. We kind of don't do our best work. We do fine work, but not our best work. And so do they believe in the mission of attainable wellness for women? And fundamentally that this is a right and something that a lot of people don't have access to all of those things. So it's, it's anchor anchoring in the mission. The second thing is, do they have a really good perspective on personal and professional? And so what I mean by that is, I, everyone at Ray, I want to live their truth transparently. And like, if you show up with a bad day or you're like, I just can't do it today. Like show up with your truth, no judgment, right? You can have good days and bad days and that's okay. And additionally, if you know what's important to you personally and professionally, startups have a tendency to burn people out, right? So if you have a personal anchor of, I am, I love to travel or I am going to make sure that I get my workout in every morning or whatever it is for those, for, for each human, that to me is really important. Otherwise you're just going to work, 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 work and be burned out. And then the third thing is obviously right human, right position, right experience, all of that. 
but I have found that those first two have allowed us to hire people that are here for it and have the right experience. You know, you said that fundraising was one of your challenging moments. Beyond that, when was the time that you really didn't, wasn't sure? Did you have a time at all that you weren't sure this would work out? Did you ever have kind of self-doubt creep in? There have been so many times around so many aspects of it around like, I don't, I just, I don't think this is something that we're going to figure out. And I don't think, um, or, you know, creating products. I don't know if these are going to work. I have no idea. I believe, right. And I believe, and a lot of women have used them. What if they don't work? What if women don't like them? What if it's like a lot of supplements out there and they're like, meh, didn't really feel any different. So, I mean, these are just, that's just one more example. Someone told me, a good friend told me, who's also an entrepreneur about a year ago, that entrepreneurs live in two states, either sheer terror or complete bliss, <laughs> right? And it is, and you try to neutralize it and like even it out as much as possible, but the complete bliss of like Target PO, they are in, oh my gosh, we're going to Target and that's, you know, show. like highs are high, lows of like oh my gosh, I think I'm going to throw up because I just, I think we made a huge mistake. I, I don't know how we're going to do this. Like it is literally those two things. And I would say they're pretty much equally balanced, right? So you say, are there moments of, there's so many moments of, a lot of them are big moments. A lot of them are micro moments, right? Of like, oh my gosh, within the same day, you're like, I think we got to figure it out. Oh my gosh. I just realized that we did not think about these five things with it. Oh my God. Look, it really and then you're like, oh no, but they're all good. So I think we figured it out. Like it's just the, this, this high and low and the best thing you can do as a, as a leader of an organization is just be like, it's all going to be okay. Cause you have to have that belief as an entrepreneur, like to your point, like biggest mistake, this is your biggest mistake, right? You have to have that mentality of like, it's all going to be okay. And it's all going to work out. The world is on our side. Where do you go to talk about those things that you're afraid of? So you don't have to keep it all to yourself. I have a coach. I would encourage every entrepreneur, yes, to have, whether you call it a coach or an advisor or a friend or a healer, a therapist, like whatever you want to call, whatever it is that you need. Um, I believe everyone needs that. That, and I, I just happen to have just an incredible partner too in my, in my husband. Like he just, I mean, he, he understands most of it. Right. And so I can tell him most of it. And, and I think just, just living transparently with, you know, even, even my leadership team, even the executive team at Ray, I'll say those things. Here's my, here's my worst fears. Right. And then we'll, we'll all talk about it together. Here's, here's what I think we could do really, really well. Do we all believe that? Because your CEO, someone, someone wise told me also as a CEO, you have to wear the shirt. What's the worst that could happen? But then you have to surround yourself with people that say, oh, Angie here's the worst that could happen, <laughs> right? And so it's, it's making sure that even across, even across your team that you've, you've got that appropriate balance. It's funny. And so what's next for Ray Wellness? What are we going to see in the future? You know, what I'm excited about is that women are finally putting themselves on the priority list as it pertains to wellness and call it COVID, call it the times, call it, you know, a lot of burnout stories where, where women are like trying to just figure it out for themselves Call it, you know, perfectionism is out. Just doing your best is in, call it whatever you want. That we just, we keep learning and listening to our consumer on what she wants to see product-wise and, and where she wants us to go. Um, we recently went to Amazon. So that's exciting. And then um, we just recently, within the last couple of weeks, um, went to Whole Foods as well. And so um, that is really, really exciting for us because that is a sign of, you know, our consumers, a foodie, she takes care of herself and she loves to cook at home. And especially in the last couple of years, it's become more important to her and they are just a, a tremendous partner and they've got really strict standards in terms of product and we pass with flying colors, right? So in so many ways, it's such a good signal for us as a company partner in Whole Foods. That's awesome. And so nationwide or, or where can we find you in the Whole Foods stores? Nationwide. Great. Awesome. Well, congratulations, Angie. I really appreciate it taking the time to share your amazing story. Do you have any other kind of final tidbits of advice that um, you might want to share for any, you know, people listening, thinking about taking the leap from corporate to start a company? 
I think the thing that I'm still constantly trying to learn is the power of patience. It's really, really hard because you have big dreams and there's so much you want to do. And that discipline, but that discipline is so important, right? And so the power of patience with yourself and in startup life, we, we have this thing that says it's not, you know, take how long you think it's going to take, figure out how long you think it's going to take and don't two exit five exit, because that's really how long it takes to get the confirmation or to figure out the system to do that or the process. And so for all those reasons, you know, it's the belief that it will all work out, but the patience to get there is really, really hard. And I'm constantly learning that. So you're not alone if you're really struggling with your own patience level. Yeah. So all those impatient people out there, listen up, get, get some patience. It'll all work out and be just fine. Just keep working hard. Dreaming big. Yep. Tenacious and patience. Tenacity and patience. Perfect. Angie, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. This was, this was really fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.